You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Savage Arms and the new 110 Ultralight. At about six pounds, the 110 Ultralight is designed to combat elevation and the elements while maintaining the performance of a factory blueprinted Savage 110 action. The carbon fiber wrapped stainless steel barrel makes it durable and lightweight. The rifle comes equipped with the Savage AccuFit technology, so that means it's adjustable and it comes in a variety of calibers. The 308, the 270, the 28 Nosler, the 280 Ackley Improved, the 30-06, and much more. If you want to find out more information about the 110 Ultralight, visit SavageArms.com. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe, from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many day how many days a week do you spend on As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> In this episode of the Houndsman XP podcast, we are going to talk about a tough subject, one that will challenge you. It is going to challenge us as a hound hunting community. It affects our lifestyle. I am honored to have on the show Dr. Brad Henson. Brad and I have been friends for a number of years, but Brad has a doctorate degree in progressive leadership. Okay, and we are going to talk about how we can secure our future as houndsmen. That's going to take us looking inward at ourselves and discussing some issues that we individuals need to face to secure our future, to preserve, protect, and promote the houndsman lifestyle. It's going to be tough. It's going to be challenging. It's, there's going to be a lot of things that are going to be like, well, yeah, we know that's common sense. But what we're trying to do here is build a foundation for future podcasts. So enjoy the podcast with Dr. Brad Henson. We're going to talk about some real live hound hunting stuff. He's a coon hunter from Western Kentucky. Uh, but these concepts are going to be applicable to everyone. Wherever you turn a hound loose, it's about you. 
And that's one thing that we're going to talk about in depth is the only person that we can affect is ourselves. The person that you look in the mirror every day can make a difference. And we're going to talk about how you can do that. Before we get there, you need to be checking out Paul's Are Protected. This is a pre-conditioner. Uh, it, I can't even describe all the stuff that this, this Paul's Are Protected is good for. It's good for minor scrapes. I had a blister on the side of my hand uh, that, that turned into a callus, and I started using Paul's Are Protected on that thing. And it's actually healing up within a week. So... Uh, it's going to do the same thing for your dog's feet. You put that stuff on when you bring them in from hunting. Clean the foot. Put the paws are protected on there. It's going to keep those pads elastic. It's going to uh, promote cell regeneration in that foot and keep your dog on its feet. Build your pack from the ground up by using paws are protected. And watch for a code this week from paws are protected. Listeners, you will get a 10% discount on all things that you get from Paws Are Protected under the website Dogs Are Treat. So you're going to get that. And our Patreon supporters are going to be sent a code for 20% off all things in your cart from Dogs Are Treat or Paws Are Protected. Check them out. Build your pack from the ground up. Have you heard about the Hound Hunters Journal? Hey, Stick Bow Outdoors is producing a log book that you can log every hunt. You can log hunting conditions. You can log the performance of individual hounds. This thing is in-depth. It's classy. It's got a leather-bound cover to it. It's going to be an heirloom for your kids and your grandkids that are going to give them an in-depth look at your passion and your lifestyle as a houndsman. I know that when I am training a young dog or even when I'm hunting the older dogs and I'm wanting to evaluate the performance of the dogs that I'm hunting, my memory only goes so far. With the Hound Log Journal, I can go back through that and look from week to week, day to day on the individual performance and give myself a true evaluation of how those hounds are actually performing in the woods. So check out the Hound Log Journal at stickbowoutdoor.com and at checkout, check out, enter the code HOUNDSXP and receive 10% off of your purchase. That's capital H-O-U-N-D-S, capital X, capital P, at checkout and get 10% off. If you're a Patreon member, be looking for your 20% discount on the Hound Log Journal. I also want to talk to you about Freedom Hunters. Freedom Hunters is worth your time you're giving back to america's warriors by introducing them or taking them on a hound hunting adventure we are going to get into the benefits of doing that in this podcast so you're going to hear all of that if you are interested in hosting a hound adventure drop me an email and it's important that you take, send it to this email. I got a lot of emails coming in from different directions and, and a lot of different email accounts that I'm trying to manage. And you'll be doing me a big favor if you will send your email to houndsmanxp at freedomhunters.org. That helps me organize it, helps me get back to you and get your event set up with Freedom Hunters to take America's Warriors to the field for a hound hunting adventure. I promise you, you will be the beneficiary for this. 
Last but not least, folks, I can't tell you how grateful I am that you spend your time with us every week on this podcast. Lauren and Seth and I are very passionate about this lifestyle and promoting it and making sure that it lasts into the future. Go to Apple iTunes and leave us a review. Send us a message. Ask us questions. Engage on our social media platforms. We'd love to hear from you. But again, thank you for spending your time with us at Houndsman XP. Out of every 100 men, 10 shouldn't even be there. 80 are just targets. Nine are the real fighters, and we are lucky to have them, for they make the battle. Ah, but the one, one is a warrior, and he will bring the others back. That is a quote from Heraclitus. He made that quote about 5,000 years ago, and he was in the business of training warriors for the defense of Greece. The reason I read that podcast or read that quote for this podcast is because we are going to cover some uh, ground here, and our objectives are to do a paradigm shift. Uh, if you're tired of getting kicked to the curb by anti-hunters, if you're tired of losing when you go to fish and wildlife meetings, if you are tired of being misrepresented as a hunting community then you do not want to turn this podcast off. We are going to talk about leadership and the the need for effective leadership in our hound hunting community. As we look around the country, we need leadership. And our community, our passions, our lifestyle is no different. We need leaders. And I am honored to have on the podcast today Dr. Brad Henson. Brad is a longtime friend of mine. Um, We've known each other, well, I can't say long time, Brad. We've probably known each other about four or five years and uh, had several yeah, conversations. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Brad, I'm going to let you introduce yourself and tell them, tell the audience why you're here. Yeah, man. Thanks so much for having me. Um, my name's Brad Henson. I'm 46 years old. Uh, I live in western Kentucky uh, in a little town called Green Rivers, just outside of Paducah. Uh, I'm married. Uh, my wife and I have been together for, we've been married 26 years, but we've been, uh, we've dated for over 30. And uh, I have two sons. They're, one will be 18 next week, and uh, one will be, one, one is 14, be 15 later in the year. Um, we live on a farm uh, out in the middle of nowhere, about 30 miles outside of Paducah. So um, I started hunting hounds for raccoon primarily raccoon we also uh hunt beagles and uh, for rabbits and and uh and we hunt uh, occasional cur dogs for squirrels but primarily for me it's coon it's coon hounds you're a tree dog uh, guy started when i was i am a tree dog guy no doubt about it yeah uh and and although i've owned hounds of various breeds uh and breedings uh but i i, I have a special place in my there's a special place in my heart for the blue tick hound so uh i, have, I think we I just hunted my first i think we just discredited you right there <laughs> it seems like us blue tick guys get kicked around too. You know what? <laughs> that we do. That we do. <laughs> uh, eventually, though, eventually we're going to come. We're going to have quite rise like the phoenix. We're going to. Uh, <laughs> we're going to have a great moment, I'm sure. Uh, I, funny thing, I was not raised by a hunter. My dad owned a 122 rifle uh, that his dad gave him, and it's now in my gun safe. Uh, but <laughs> uh, they. Uh, my dad was not a hunter. We didn't, we didn't do any of that kind of stuff. I started dating the woman who's now my wife when I was 14 or 15, and her dad and brothers all coon hunted. 
and uh, I was a suburb boy uh, who didn't know anything about such things, and uh, but I was tough enough to decide that I wasn't going to be a wuss, and I, I, I started <laughs> going with them at night. And I just fell in love with it, man. Uh, it's a, it was the first kind of hunting that I'd ever found where you could still talk and have fun. Like you didn't have to sit silently in a tree for hours at a time, like whitetail hunting causes you to do. You know, it was just yeah. fun. It was social. Uh, a lot of the old men that would take us hunting back then, you know, would have a cooler in the back of the truck. And you'd sit on a tailgate and just listen to the dogs run. I've even been with those old men when they would start a fire you know, in wherever the spot we were. And it was almost like you went camping for a few hours. Were you hunting blue ticks um, then too? Yeah, we were. In fact, <laughs> um, I was, I was hunting with, I was hunting with old men who were very good friends with Dave Dean when Dave Dean lived in Western for those, for the blue tick hunters out there. Right. Dave Dean was the leader of the hammerbred dogs, but he originally was from Western Tennessee before moving to Michigan. And so I was hunting old hammer dogs that came out of Tennessee when Dave was there. And, uh, and yeah. so, uh, it was a, it was a, it was a, anyway, long story short, that's how I got started with blue dogs. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, I am, uh, professionally, uh, I'm a pastor, uh, but also, uh, work in, in industry and in, in other, in a couple other areas. Uh, and educationally, uh, when I got out of high school, um, I did, it's a very weird educational pathway, but I did an, an undergrad degree um, in uh, in Koine Greek, the Greek language, um, and uh, so I focused a lot on uh, history related to uh, the turn of, of uh, you know circa like zero to a hundred A.D. something like that, right. and then um, and then my master's degree is in is in leadership and communication, and then my doctoral degree is in uh, it's actually called uh, progressive leadership. But the word progressive doesn't really mean it didn't really mean then what it means now. So uh, all that really meant was where is leadership going in the future? So um, not intended to connect itself to a political affiliation or anything like that. So. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, that's 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 my background. I, uh, I I've led um, worked with large organizations, church denominations, and then specifically um, worked. Most of my years have been focused on helping start new churches and new organizations that fit, um, you know, maybe age-old truths, but at the same time uh, know how to kind of exegete local culture and local time and just connect with people where they are today. You so, know, that's, uh, that's so really that's, interesting, Brad. That What you say about the church is kind of where we're at in the hound hunting community, too, because we've got this long, rich heritage in our country about hounds and houndsmen and and the way hounds have been trained, and then we're trying to find how we fit into the current culture. So that's why you're here. Yeah, glad to be here, man. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, and, and I'm not going to try to upstage that at all, but I think I, I don't know that I've ever really gone into depth on my background in leadership and why I'm so passionate about it. But uh, <clears throat> just briefly, you know, I had the opportunity to attend – the Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department Leadership Academy. That's a mouthful, I know. But it's the premier law enforcement leadership academy in the Midwest. And it was about 160 hours of, um, of instruction. And then there were several hours where we had to write uh, thesis and different things on different topics. And then we wrapped it up with a capstone or a uh, uh, final paper 
on leadership and how it affected our departments. And then I took that, and, and during that time we are listening, we're under the tutelage of, uh, of uh, Bill Westfall of West, Westfall Gallagher Group, who runs a corporate leadership training uh, business. And um, I was fortunate enough to get a spot on staff within that leadership academy, and then I was appointed to the leadership team for our our department for the state of Indiana. And so I had the opportunity to uh, continue my study and teach leadership to department heads and different things and then also to other law enforcement agencies through the Leadership Academy and and things like that. So I I developed a very passionate, um, deep desire to develop people in leadership. And uh, that's my background, and um, I'm looking forward to this conversation and and what we're going to do here with this because, Brad, the way I see it, you know, everybody sits back and they talk about the government needs to do this or UKC needs to do this or PKC needs to do this. And the first lesson we were taught is the only person that we can affect change in is yourself. And, right. and we have the opportunity to initiate this change or this, we control our own destiny in this through individuals. And, and one of the things that I always draw on is, is John Maxwell. John Maxwell says the most introverted person will affect, come in contact with, and influence up to 10, 000, almost 10,000 people in his lifetime. That's the most introverted person. So Maxwell's theme was learn to lead. You are going to have influence one way or another. You're going to influence people. So what do we do with that influence and how do we develop those those uh, those skills to make a positive influence in people? And uh, so give me some of your perceptions of leadership today where we need to go with it in a hunting community. Yeah, I, I, I put together a couple of thoughts uh, in preparation for this. Um, I think the first thing really is we have to look at ourselves. And the truth is a lot of those who, who hate what we do or who misunderstand what we do as hound hunters, uh, who, who, a lot of those who see it as barbaric or in some way uh, an animal rights issue or something like that, a lot of them, quite frankly, got their they got their their weapons against us from us. You know, they they, they saw us doing things that even 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 we, the majority of us, would go, "Why in the world did that guy do that? Like why like why why in the world did that guy, you know, let that dog attack that animal and videotape it and put it on Facebook for the whole world to see? You know, like why why did he do that? You know, and and so we really do first, I think, have to start with ourselves, and. Uh, if I could maybe take a little bit of a soapbox on that, I would say the missing link, in my opinion, that I see today when it comes to hound hunting is the, is the story I told earlier. When I learned to do this, I was 15, and I was sitting on the tailgate of a truck with a couple of men in their 60s and 70s. And they taught me not just how to listen to a dog or, or understand what a dog was doing in the woods. They taught me how to treat a dog. They taught me mm. how to keep a dog well-fed. They taught me that you know, if my dog was tick infested, that he wouldn't be as good of a hunting dog and I needed to take care of him. 
You know, mm-hmm. they, they taught me they taught me how to put a handle on a dog and teach and teach them to come to me and know me and actually build a relationship. Because, see, we were doing this without GPS tracking collars. Right. We were doing this w- when we were doing this without even beep beep collars back then, <laughs> um, where where if I was going to have if I was going to have a positive hunting experience, I had to have a positive relationship with the dog. So that's your and, first, and, and, first leadership role right there. Right there is, is the, the, we're talking about the older men taking the time to teach younger men not just how to win, but but how to act and how to think and how to relate to to the hound itself. How, does that make sense to you? Oh, absolutely. I, I'm looking at our first role as houndsmen is is learning how to be a leader for this animal. You know, we we call houndsmanship a lifestyle. It is our lifestyle. Um, because. When you look at deer hunting, you look at you look at um, uh, rabbit, or squirrel hunting, whatever. If it doesn't involve a dog, you know I can put my gun in the safe, shoot it a few times before August fifteenth, our opening day of deer or squirrel season, and then go out and shoot a limit of squirrels. But that dog standing in my kennel requires three hundred and sixty-five yeah. days a year of care and things like that, and I, I've got to be a good steward of that. So. Absolutely. So my my opinion is our first role in leadership is leadership to that dog, and and if we've got a bad dog, usually we can look in the mirror and figure that out. But that's a training that's a training podcast. That's not a leadership podcast. Go ahead, Brad. <laughs> no, that that's that's absolutely right. The second thing I would say is that you're not only leading your relationship with a dog, but you're also leading your relationship with other with other hunters. Uh, and so, you know, you're, 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 you're focusing on the way that you treat each other, the way that you talk to each other. I mean, I've been, I've been handling, I've been handling successfully in hunts on and off since I was a teenager and the way that people relate to one another today in a hunt, in a, in a formal hunt versus the way people related to one another, uh, in the, in the nineties. Uh, I've seen just me personally. I've seen drastic change, in what uh, way? and it's it's because uh, just aggressiveness, just in the focus on winning instead of the focus on enjoying. Um, and and that, there's nothing wrong with wanting to win. I don't have a problem with. I mean, I want to win. I'm going to try to win every time. But yeah, but I know. I'm, I'm you, I know you. You're highly competitive when it comes to competition. You know, <laughs> there's no there's no doubt about that. But right. Um, but there's a way you treat people. So I guess I would say. Uh, my definition of leading myself and the way I relate to other men and other women in the sport is, is the issue of respect is at, the more respectful I am. I said first to the dog in that relationship, but now the more respectful I am and the way I relate to other people, you know, in the process is going to affect the way that, that they see me. And ultimately the way that the, the world sees us. I mean, I know I didn't come here to teach Christian principles, but one of the strongest principles of the New Testament is that the world will know that Christians are real by the way they treat each other. Right. And and so uh, so the, you know the way that we treat each other, um, the way that we treat each other will heavily affect the way that the world sees us. So we we really have to lead in our relationship with our hound or hounds. But we also we also have to take responsibility and lead in our relationship with other people in the sport. Let me circle back around to the way we we treat each other, and I'm going to talk about um, 
my professional career as a conservation officer, okay? So every sure. year beginning, this is a big deer hunting area that I live in. Uh, so every year getting close to uh, the deer season, then my phone would ring off the hook with conflicts among deer hunters. You know, I, there's a tree stand too close to the fence. There's this going on here. This guy's doing this. And, you know, so there was always this conflict. The way that transfers over is to landowners. Landowners don't want our drama. You know, they, they just are giving you permission to hunt. They don't want all the drama that goes with it. And so the way we treat each other, same thing goes with houndsmen, okay? And we'll talk big game stuff out, out west a little bit too. Uh, I've heard the stories of the fist fights on the side of the road because somebody's hunting in somebody else's area. Um, when the government has to respond to that or gets complaints of that, then your credit, our credibility as a hound hunting community goes down and it reflects poorly on us. So we have to learn how to get along and build unity within our own community if we want anybody else to accept us. Is that what you're saying? It is, and, 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 it, and it runs in multiple directions. Like, I know of local clubs that shut down simply because people couldn't get along with the president, you know, or the vice president, or the person who, the person who they elected to lead led in a way that they didn't like. And so... Uh, and so a club just, you know, getting a group of men uh, who all love a sport to, to come to a, you know, to come to a monthly meeting and, 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 and lead their club well. Uh, you know, when that doesn't happen, it's very difficult for us to, to push this way of life and this skill set uh, of, of training and, and utilizing dogs in this way. It, it's very hard for us to move it forward. You know, I, I know this. I don't take my teenagers to club events. Now, my teenagers hunt with me, but I've seen so much stuff that I that I didn't really uh, want them around, you know, uh, at club events that early on I started not taking them. So so I'm hmm. I'm still in, in search for, you know, I'm still in search for uh, a, a club event on a regular basis that I can bring my teenagers to where I'm not worried about them, you know, interacting with something overly negative, you know, well, that's, and, and that's a leadership issue. We're, we're, we already started slaying some sacred cows here when, when uh, uh, we started talking about social media. So let's just drill down into this a little bit. Give me some specifics of things that you would see at club events that kept you from wanting to take your kids. Sure. And let me clarify and say this. I, I'm a member of the local club, my local club here, and, I, and I'm not talking about that. That's a group of friends that, that – that you know that we know and everybody gets along pretty well and so i'm not if any of yeah. my buddies are listening to this i'm not talking <laughs> about our local club i i get what uh, you're saying but, you're putting a truck on the road yeah. and you're going to an unknown club and you don't know what's going to be waiting on you there so you're hesitant to throw, exactly. take your boys with exactly you. okay so when i was uh i was early 20s um a guy named dexter watley who is a, a blue chick guy out in texas he had entrusted me with a very nice hound uh, i i put that hound in a plywood box that that my uncle had built for me and in the back of a borrowed truck and drove to <laughs> i think this event was autumn oaks i mean I, I had nothing you know so i was driving a borrowed truck with a gifted box and a borrowed dog and and i got to i it was either blue tick days or autumn oaks i don't remember it was up north and um i had gone out on my cast 
we had uh, we had won the cast. Uh, I had come back early. I was thrilled about this win. Uh, I went into the clubhouse. I ordered a, I don't know Coke and a hot dog or something and sat down. And 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 all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a, a, a person, uh, a, a well-known hunter whose name I'm not going to mention, uh, had had been told that someone was talking bad about him, and he thought it was me. Like he got he got people mixed up. Okay. Mm. And he barges in the room, jerks me out of my chair. This is a 40-year-old man talking to a 21-year-old young man or boy. Uh, you know, spoke to me very harshly, cussed me out, pointed his finger in my face. And it was everything I could to lead myself not to lay him out on the floor, honestly. But, and I didn't. I didn't. I didn't touch him. I just took the yelling. I, I, in the back of my mind, I'm leading myself. I know that he's got the wrong guy. You know, he's just talking to the wrong person. Um, but there were probably 30 people in the room when this happens. And he finally got out and left. And when the man who owned my dog that I was hunting at the time, Dexter, when he got back from his hand, you know, we ended up going and clarifying that I was not the person that he thought I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that kind of thing, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, I, I, in addition to that, just you know, countless. I've seen countless questions in a hunt where three of the four guys know that this is a very bogus thing. But one person is just holding on to that straw that maybe, maybe they'll give in and, you know, not get him disqualified or scratched or whatever. That turns into a come back to the club and everybody yell at each other. You know, I, I had a, I had a cast here at my house at the CHKC World, however many years ago, maybe four or five years ago, where one of my teenage boys went on. I was guiding. I wasn't hunting. Uh, I donated my land. I was guiding, and and uh, there was a cast here. And actually, uh, I can say this because, well, he wasn't involved, but uh, a Big Country was in the cast. Mm. And Steve was, Steve was hunting him, and uh, uh, he ended up, I think, winning that cast. But uh, another two dogs, not, in, not, not Big Country, two others, there was just a discrepancy on, on the way that, uh, that, that a dog got treated or something. And before you know it, you had a handler cussing out a judge, and the judge... Uh, scratching the handler and we called the owner of the organization on the phone and had a meeting right there and I saw a guy get barred because he cussed the owner of the organization <laughs> you know right. and it was just it was just like come on guys this is let's let's just let's just control ourselves you know treat each other with respect there are good ways to disagree and so here's what I'm getting at I really think that what I'm saying is number two is a, is really related to number one. Uh, I, I, I'm going to have respect for the dog that I'm hunting and I'm also going to trust him. And if he gets beat, it's not going to, it's not going to kill me. I'm not going to freak out. You know, uh, I don't feel like I'm going into this where I have to win everything. And then in the process, then if I've been raised and taught and led in a helpful way where I know how to treat people with respect, then I'm not going to end up doing something that would embarrass my mother, you know what I mean, to know that I was in on it or that would keep someone else from wanting their child to be a part of the event. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm just talking about being responsible in the way we relate to one another. I think it's a huge area of personal leadership. I have to be responsible for me. Everybody else be responsible for themselves and be responsible for the way we relate to one another. That's a huge leadership issue. Yeah, I'll, I'll relate a uh a story here that that turned me off. It was really the last straw for me for competition hunting. And um, I went to a big event and 
there was a lot of money on the table to be won. But prior to the hunt, um, a man and his wife were there taking entries and doing different things. And within 10 feet, you've got a, a bunch of guys sitting, younger guys sitting around, and they're using language that is not acceptable especially in the presence of a lady and this woman was a lady they were asked to stop they wouldn't they they cut it back for a few minutes and then they they were back at it and you know it's just those types of things that if you don't have the common decency why am i spending my time with you people you know why am i spending my money and my time to go be associated with this crowd and not every event is like that so we've we've most events are not like that but man we have to be conscious of the fact that people are watching even when we don't think they're watching people watch us so what do you have, what's your opinions? We've talked about competition hunting, but what about the guy that's out here every night? Uh, he's a hard hunter, but he's out here every night, and he is just your average, no, I'm not going to say average, he is your diehard houndsman, you know? Sure. What sort of conduct should he be engaged in, and how? what sort of questions should he be asking himself whether or not he is conducting himself in a way that's a good representation of us? Oh, yeah. I, I, that's a great question. And, and really, that's becoming the kind of, the kind of hunter I am. I, I, would, I have ten times as much fun with my two boys on our own farm treeing a couple of raccoons <laughs> and going back, going back to the house and eating mama's dinner, you know. Um, but, uh, so I'll give you a story. When I was in my 20s, uh, there was a, a huge farm. If anybody's ever felt this before, like my best hunting land was right beside a huge farm that was posted. And I wasn't allowed to be on it. And, mm -hmm. and it never failed. It never failed, you know, that that's where all the den trees were. You know, <laughs> that's where, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, it, like one out of three drops, it felt like my dog's going to end up on land he's not supposed to be on. And uh, so at first, uh, I, I tried to, you know, there are multiple approaches, and each state probably has their own laws as to how you're supposed to handle that situation. Um, in this particular state, I had the legal freedom to go get my dog, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, but I tried, I, my, here's what I did. I called the owner of the land, and I said, hey, I got I to gotta get my dog. And he was not happy with me. He said, no, I mean, you go get your dog, but don't ever, don't ever come back on my property. He, and that was just his stance. And I don't know why, but that was his stance. I, I did not know him. Uh, anyway, that goes on for a year or so. And, and after a little while, I just got to where I didn't call him. I just would go get my dog, not shoot any animal or anything, just get off the property. And it was fine. And one day, one day, I lost a dog. Lost her. She just got away from me, collar quit working, and I lost her. And I lost her on his property. Mm. And so in the middle of the daylight, he had a really nice piece of huge property with a great gravel road that drove down the middle of it. And so I just risked it. I got in my truck and I drove down the middle of the road. I was on his property. I was looking for my dog. And uh, in this particular part of the country, he had cattle and he also had tobacco. Well, I came up on a fence where uh, part of the electric fence was down and he had three or four cows that were in his tobacco patch eating his tobacco. And I did what anybody raised in, I did what anybody raised in the country would do. I jumped out of my truck. I ran into the patch. I ran the cattle back into the field. And I kind of field fixed the fence, you know, just, just, just got it to where it would 
stand up. And I even marked it with a log to say this particular spot's broken. And I got back in my truck and I drove down the road and I found my dog. She came right to me. I loaded her up. And as I was leaving, the landowner pulled into the property and saw me there. <laughs> he stopped me. He got me out of my truck and he told me very clearly that I wasn't allowed on the property. I apologized. And then I said, sir, before I go, I want you to know that your cattle were out. They were in your tobacco patch. I got them back in your fence. I fixed the fence and I left you a log right beside the spot that was broken so that you would know where it was. And I was going to call you when I got back to the house and he mm-hmm. stopped for a second and he said, and he said, thank you. And I left. And that night he called me and he said, listen, I just want to tell you something. You can, you can coon hunt on my property anytime you want to. Don't ever ha- you don't ever have to call me and ask you just go. Nice. And I said, sir, what made, what made you change your mind? And he said, well, the last guy, the last guy that I let hunt on my property would tear down my fences so that he could get his four wheeler where he wanted it. Yep. And he said, so I thought all coon hunters were like that. And I said, man, I would never do that to your property. I'm so sorry, you know? Uh, and, but anyway, I had, I had an extra, you know, 1500 acres to hunt the rest of the time I lived there. Nice. And, and, and all just because I did five minutes worth of work that, anybody with a decent attitude would do if, if they had the knowledge of how to do it yeah this so, isn't a, this isn't going to be a mutual admiration society but i've got i do have a similar story it was a it was a property that i had permission to hunt on but it was a new piece of property and i was hunting it and there's a dead cow in the middle of the pasture well i knew that the landowner was going to have his hands full getting that cow out of there and his mom and dad uh, were elderly, so he really didn't, and he only had small kids at the time. So, guess what? I took an hour of my time and helped him remove that cow from that that field. And from that point on, man, I mean, I could use the guy as a reference when I wanted a place to hunt. You know, I would tell people, I've, "I'll take care of your property. If you don't believe me, call call this guy," and he would and they would, and they'd call me back, and they'd say, "You can do whatever you want." Sure. So sure, that's awesome. And and all that is 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 leading yourself to behave in the very best selfless way. That is just simply a good neighbor. You're just relating to other people as a decent, good, honest human being. You know, uh, and and I think that when we and I'm not saying coon hunters aren't. Let me be really clear. Most every coon hunter I know is a very decent, honorable human being. Right. My, my statement, my statement is that there are a few of us that do not behave that way. And those few are the ones that are given a microphone by the folks in this world who would love to shut down the sport. Right. And so we have, we have to be careful or we become our own worst enemies when our attitude can be used against us or when our behavior can be used against us. And it's why I think the more we, the more we band together and make it part of the lifestyle that we hold one another accountable to good behavior. Um, you know, I, I, I'll give an example of what I mean. Um, I, you know, I, I know how people train dogs. I, I have utilized things like caged raccoons and stuff in the past in a legal way to teach my, to teach my animals what they're supposed to chase. Okay. And at the same time, I think all of us know that there are lines you can cross with that, that move into cruelty. Okay, and when you move into cruelty, okay, that, everybody's got to figure out that line, you know, for themselves. But the the goofballs like put that on video and then show it not in a closed group with their hunting friends, 
but throw it out there for the world to see and then freak out when an animal rights activist gets mad at them. I'm like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be surprised they're mad at you. You should have expected that. Not even an animal rights activist. Yeah, not even an animal rights activist, somebody that doesn't have any understanding. You know, the reason you're getting screamed at when, when you're on the side of the county road and the landowner comes out in the middle of the night is not because they don't necessarily want you there. They don't understand why you were there. Yeah, that's, and, that's a good word, man. That, that's right. And you are a threat. They perceive you as a threat. And the only thing they know are the things that they saw, they've seen, or they've been shown, or they've been told. But we have not controlled the narrative to tell them who we are and what we're all about. And Absolutely. You, you, take, you take the instance of um, most people are not animal rights activists. They're just ignorant to why we're out there and what we're doing. And it's our job to educate them why we're out there and what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. And that's where individual leadership comes from. Absolutely. And I think that what people really don't understand is something that you know and I know. It's when we talk about leading yourself well with your hound, I'm going to use the term in a different way, but, but, but I'm an animal rights activist in the sense that I expect my dogs to be treated well. I expect my raccoons to be treated well. And by that, I mean, <laughs> right. the, you know, yes. it, it would it would it would fire me up if I found out that somebody was dumping poison on my property or something like that. Like that would, you know, we would have we would have a conversation. You know, what I mean, we have an issue right. you know, right. and because I because I, you know, I, I joke around and say I, I feed my raccoons better than a lot of people feed their dogs. And it's just because I want to make sure that I have a healthy, well fed population. And, and, and you know, and I'm different even in kill season i don't kill raccoons on my property unless they're unless they're showing signs of being sick yeah. um and and so just because i i i live in in a place that only has a mediocre population of raccoons but my farm has a high a high population of raccoons because mm-hmm. i've worked at it and so i guess what i'm getting at is um the, the real true houndsmen love animals right we love animals we have an admiration. We don't, we don't. We, yes, we have an admiration for the wildlife that a non-hunter or an anti-hunter will never ever be able to understand, ever. That, that's absolutely absolutely correct. And and so, uh, which is easier, you know? To and I, I'm not I'm not trying to make this uh, you know anything anti anybody, but just you know, which is easier to hold up a sign saying hunters are evil or whatever for for an hour or to spend your entire life trying to make sure that the population of a wild animal is, is treated well, which is what, which is what hunters do. Yes. You know, there's, there's no deer hunter in Kentucky that wants the deer population to go down. Right. You know, there's, exactly. not, either, there's not, you know, and, and there's no raccoon. You know, I, I love my raccoons. I, I want as many healthy raccoons as I can find on my, on my property. And so having said that, I guess what I'm saying is, uh, you know, and I, I say this, I had a really good conversation the other day with a, with a friend of mine who's a police officer, okay? And I know that you spent a lot of time as an officer. Mm-hmm. Uh, his statement to me, I thought was really, really great. He said, nobody, nobody despises a dirty cop more than a good cop. That's right. Because, because that, that, that one in a million, that one, and I don't mean to use numbers literally, I, I mean that figuratively, like that one in a million makes life harder on the other 999,000 you know it just really really does and 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 it also makes the public think obviously 
that, that there's this tendency for people with a badge to behave a certain way, which anybody who's around a lot of people with a badge knows that that's not reality. That's not reality. But it is reality that there are some. There are some. It's a tiny, tiny percentage. But there are some, just like there are some hunters whose way of living and way of behaving is, is despicable. And it's not helpful to the rest of us who love this lifestyle and sport. You know, and I've so, said, go ahead, Brad, finish your thought. I'm sorry. No, no, you're, you're good. That was a great, it was a great, I was just going to say, so one of the things I think those of us in the, in the middle have to do is we have to be willing to hold all of us accountable to bad that's behavior. A, yeah, that's a tough one. You know, I, 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 not only was I an officer, I was a game warden, you know, I was the game warden and, yep. um, believe it or not, I actually had houndsmen or the houndsmen have always been a very tight knit, almost secretive type of group. Uh, very suspicious of outsiders, uh, things like that. So definitely the jokes have been made over the years, you know, about, and I even felt that when I would go to events, people would think I was there to infiltrate the infiltrate their network or something. I was just there to hunt. Um, but I saw as they gained trust, they were willing to uh, police their own ranks. I'm not going to say rat people out because they weren't ratting people out. We as a hunting community have done more for wildlife in North America than any other group in the history of the planet. That is our wildlife. All of us contribute through taxes, through license, through all those things. And there's no other success story in the history of the world for wildlife like the North American Model for Wildlife Conservation. And even though that wasn't a conscious thing for these houndsmen, they were willing to report people who were abusing that, not being good stewards of that. They understood what being a good steward was. If you're out there with a seven-year-old dog in the middle of summer and knocking coons out because the the dog needs a coon. You don't. You don't need a rifle. You need a new dog. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So there that's, is. That's exactly there, right. There are a lot of good people out there, but I think I think we. You're exactly right. You hit the nail on the head when we have to take responsibility and start policing our own ranks. The reason deer hunters and ungulate hunters are so effective in communicating with the DNR is because they don't tolerate it. You know, if I've got a piece of deer hunting ground and you're hunting the next property and as I'm getting back to my truck in, in the wee hours of, you know, the evening there and I see you over there sh shining a light around in that field and shooting a buck, nine, nine out of ten deer hunters are going to call. They're going to say, hey, so-and-so was doing this and I don't, that's not right. And hunter and houndsman have not been that way historically yeah yeah and i think we, we've got to figure out the line between you know where is uh where is it uh, you know where is somebody just being a tattletale or a snitch or whatever mm -hmm. that, that's a, that's not a good thing versus where is someone who's genuinely who's genuinely taking uh you know who's genuinely taking their sport and their way of life seriously enough that they're going to protect it by keeping this one person from endangering it. Uh, no, no, no doubt about it, man. No doubt have, about it. Have I you mean, ever had a situation where you tried to get permission on a place and 
the landowner looks at you and said, well, you were here hunting all last week and you're just now asking me permission because they thought that it was you hunting on their place I, without I, permission. Yeah, I've had, uh, it didn't happen just that way, but I've had dogs found on posted land and people call me and say, I've got your dog. And me say, no, I, I don't think you do, man. My dogs are all here. And they go, well, you're the only coon hunter I know. Mm-hmm. And I have a coon hound and it was on my property, you know, and, or, you know, no collar or whatever. And I say, man, I'll, I'll come look at the dog. I probably know who it belongs to, but, uh, but no, you know, it wasn't mine, but yeah, I have similar, similar to what you're describing. Yeah. I've had situations uh, where I'm trying to get permission and they're, and the comment back is you coon hunters hunt here all the time without permission. So anyway, I wish you would, res- you know, even though I've never turned a yeah. dog loose there. So there's yeah. somebody in the community that's doing that. And that's what I've seen people want to police very, very heavily, especially East West. You know, 90% of the property that's being hunted out there is public land. So permission's not an issue, but you get back East here and it's a whole different yeah. story. And, and uh, when you think you're sneaking in a place and gonna hunt it, you're actually bringing disparagement on the whole hound hunting community. Yeah, I had a situation uh, just happened two, I think two seasons ago where, you know, everybody in our area knows that my farm is, is, is thick with raccoons. And so every now and then I'll have a buddy ask me, you know, hey, can I bring this seven-month-old pup over and hunt it a few times on, on your property? And my answer is almost always yes. Mm-hmm. And I just say, don't if you don't mind, I, I'll let you, if it's kill season, I'll let you kill the first one at trees. But that's it. You know, after that, I, I, we don't kill here. And, um, and, and so... But every now and then, and this happened two seasons ago, I had a couple of months where I was not hunting very much. It wasn't in kill season. It was, my guess is it was probably fall before before hunting season started. And uh, I had not hunted much through the late summer, and I decided to go. And the week before, someone had told me that they said something like, man, you've been hunting a lot lately. I hear dogs back there all the time. And mm-hmm. I said, you must be hearing, you must be hearing the dogs in my kennel because I've not been hunting at all. Well, I, I go hunting with my two sons, and we're, we're out there, and one of my dogs is treed. I usually only hunt one or two dogs at a time, and I don't remember if I had one or two, but they were treed. I pulled them off the tree. Uh, my dogs are normally quiet once you pull them off the tree, and out of nowhere, I hear another dog running. And I listen, and then I hear a dog tree, and we I walked over by it, and then I hear two guys on my property talking mm-hmm. as they walk to their dog. And I was not able to get to them in time to find out who it was. And, and it may very well have just been a, a friend who felt like they had the right to do it. And it may, it may have been perfectly innocent. But it definitely gave me that landowner feel of like, hey, nobody's supposed to be here. Why, why, you know, why, are, they, why are they on my property or whatever? And again, because there's something I'm holding true and valuable to, I think that's, I think that's something a lot of times we don't understand that there are a lot of misunderstandings about what hounds do. And, and if I don't do a good job relating to my neighbors, and I mean, I only own 36 acres, man. I'm surrounded by 2,000 acres, but I only own 36 of it. Right. So I've got to get along. I've got to get along with my landowner neighbors. Got to. I have no choice or I got nowhere to hunt. And so, uh, so, you know, things like, and again, this goes back to, this goes back to leading your hound, okay? 
things like making sure your dog doesn't run deer things like making sure your dog doesn't molest cattle you know there's a reason why those things are offenses in the hunts because good houndsmen don't want their dogs doing that right so i tune hunt in a cattle farm with you know with 50 head of cattle all the time so you know one of my first questions to anybody who comes here to hunt with me is you know does your dog run cows and they'll say i don't know and i'm like okay well are you running a shot collar on him (laughs) because i i can't afford for the landowner who who owns that property or the leaser who leases that property and puts his cattle there i can't i can't afford for them to lose a calf because somebody's hound was chasing it right you know what i mean we just can't yeah and, and that again personal responsibility lead your hound and then relate to one another well lead your relationships so yeah. it all comes back to the same thing i think yep absolutely and before we leave this part of the topic i you know i just add this one thing you know if you're going to build a relationship with your with your neighbors or with landowners the time to do that is not in the middle of the night <laughs> when when they just got out of bed they don't know what's going on the time to do that is during the daylight hours with you not having any plans to hunt you taking time out of your schedule you going and making the contact you building that relationship you educating the the landowners of what's going on um, because I can guarantee you that it's not going to go well at two o'clock in the morning and uh, they've already called the sheriff or the game warden to come and talk to you. It's just, it's not a good starting point for a long lasting friendship. Oh, it, it's absolutely not. And, and the relationship <laughs> can go, you know, it's different. Like I'll give you an example of what the kinds of little, and these, these are just common sense things. I think most people are going to hear this and say, yeah, I do that too. Or, you know, but, okay, I, my truck is known. I use the same truck every time. All my landowner friends know my truck. They see my truck. They know it's me. But every now and then, if I'm going to lead a cast here or if I've got buddies coming in in a different truck, so now a different truck's going to be parked by their barn or a different truck's going to be driving through their field, you know, I call them up ahead of time. Say, hey, listen, I'm going to hunt tonight. Uh, I've got buddies coming in. They've got a different truck. You're going to see a different truck out there tonight. And they always say every time, thank you for letting me know that's right uh you don't you don't have to do that every time i hunt as long as i'm in my truck it's fine but but it's but it's but 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 if i'm going to bring you know new people on the property i just think it's a it's even a respectful thing like like you know let's go back to the, the more of the don't tread on me kind of way of thinking is it's literally not my land it's their land they own it i'm only there because they're nice and they let me you're a guest so i'm a guest I can't right. pretend like it's not my land, like it's my land. It's not. So if I'm going to bring somebody else on that land, I'm going to get that landowner's permission and, and make sure they know. Um, man, I really messed up one time. I'll tell you a huge, huge mess up. Uh, one of my neighbors is an elderly couple. Uh, he was a full bird colonel in the Marine Corps during Vietnam. Okay. Uh, he is the toughest man. I mean, one of the toughest men I've ever known. And, and actually now he's in a wheelchair, he's had a stroke, and he's, he's not himself anymore. But, but there was a time when I wouldn't have tangled with this man for anything, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, ger- German background, just a tough, tough dude. And his wife is the wife of a full bird colonel. You know what I mean? <laughs> like she's been, yes. she, she has been taken care of, she's been protected, and she has been spoken to with respect her entire life. Okay, well, 
uh, after he had his stroke, okay, so she, she's taking care of him. They still live in this home by themselves, and they are my next-door neighbor. They own about 500 acres right beside us. And I brought two buddies with me, coon hunting, and my sons, which meant we had five guys, and we, we didn't drive on their property, so I didn't call and tell her we were going to be out there. Well, it's midnight, okay, mm-hmm. and I've got five guys with five flashlights walking through her field, which is directly across the street from her house. And unbeknownst to me, her little dog needed to go pee, and so she's gotten up out of bed in her nightgown, and she's you know a woman probably 80 years old, and she's walking her dog in the front yard, and we scare her to death. Mm. She starts she starts yelling, "Who are you? Uh, you know, I'm going to call the police." She just got scared. Right. And I told I told the other four guys, "Turn your lights off." I ran up into her yard. I took my coon hunting hat off. I walked up to her. I told her it was me. I apologized, but she was just about crying. Mm. She was scared. Yeah. And and I I not only apologized then, I called her the next day after she had slept and apologized again, and she was fine, and it was perfectly accidental. But she just knew Brad doesn't have five flashlights walking through my woods, you right. know, like, so she, she did not assume it was me. And I could have fixed that by making a phone call at six o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. So that's exactly right. Yeah. You know, and, so, uh, we, we, we can go on and on. I think a lot of you summed it up. You know, a lot of these things are just common sense. Uh, you don't need a, a degree in leadership to figure this stuff out. A lot of it is just being a decent human being. No, nobody listening to these podcasts would sit, would want to pull in their driveway and find people that they don't know sitting in their front yard having a picnic. And no, none of us would. We've got to, we've got to put this in perspective that these people have paid for this property. They have, they have worked, they've labored to pay for this property and. As just a decent human being, we need to respect that. It goes back to that word respect that you used early in this conversation. Have the respect to pick up a phone and call. Uh, Have the respect and the courage. That's another word that I'd really love to dive into is courage. But have the courage to walk up to that door, knock on it, and get permission to hunt. And... um, that would go a long way for the perception of you and also for all of us, please, for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Brad, let's, uh, let's shift gears a little bit and let's talk about, um, some certain things within leadership and maybe that maybe we can get into, uh, some leadership principles just, just lightly. Uh, but talk about some leadership principles that we can use to affect the non-hunting public. We've, we've got the support of the hunting public for the most part. Uh, and I think from my personal experience of, of being friends with thousands of houndsmen now on social media, you know, the acceptance level of, of the video thing is really going down. Even a lot of the groups that I, that I belong to, uh, and, they have rules, no teeth on game, you know, no contact with game, stuff like that, because they're starting to understand it. But what are some leadership principles that we can use as a hunting community to 
affect the opinions of the non-hunting community. Those are the people that hold the key to the king, key to the castle right there. Not the 3% yeah. of anti-hunters. We're talking about the 85% of non-hunters that control property. They vote. They are the ones that, that we need to convince that this lifestyle is worth maintaining. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I, I have a, a really good thought there, just at least for, that has helped me, I guess. And, and I didn't come up with it. Others have taught me these things. But, uh, you know, there's a, there's a story in the Bible uh, about King David who's going to win a war. And uh, it's in First Chronicles chapter 12. The, he amasses an army of 300,000 soldiers, okay? But the victory ends up coming because there are 200 men who come from a different part of the country. They're called men of Issachar. And, and all the Bible says, they get one verse. They get one verse. And all the Bible says about them is that they, they knew what was going on and they knew what to do about it. Hmm. That was it. They knew what was happening and they knew how to handle it. So uh, the, 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 the moral of the story is um, battles like this are not won with force. Battles like this are won with wisdom. And we're not. Keep going, man. Keep going. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a red blooded American. I understand that there's, there's value in force. Sometimes, sometimes you have to use force. Sometimes force is necessary. Um, but force doesn't win every battle. And a battle like this has to be won with wisdom, with, with, we, we have to be thought-provoking. We have, and so uh, typically the two things that the, – the second one really is the one that matters – is we've got to come up with profound solutions – I'm sorry, practical solutions to profound problems. So how can we as people who love this hunting lifestyle and houndsmanship specifically, how can we address the things that those who misunderstand us or even don't like us, that they're concerned about? How can we address the things that they're concerned about? That's knowing what's going on and figuring out what it is we need to do about it. Um, so I, I would just illustrate this. We are never going to get an enemy on our team, ever. So as long as we see some, somebody who just differs from us as an enemy, as long as we think of them as an enemy, what will happen is that we will hate back. When they hate us, we'll hate back on them. And when they use force against us, we'll try to find a way to use force against them. And ultimately, in my opinion, ultimately, houndsmen will lose. Houndsmen will lose that Mm -hmm. because how powerful you can put a vicious dog doing something horrible to an innocent animal on a video and affect the votes of millions of Americans. But you're not going to get those millions in the woods to hang out with a teenage boy as he sees his first coonhound, tree or raccoon. You're not going to get the thing that makes us love it. It's not something that's accessible to the general public. So they're never going to love it like we love it. We've got to represent who we are. So my, my statement is, how can we take those who are now positioned as our enemies and try to find a way to make them our friends? It's what, uh, it's what happened when I – go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to throw – I was going to bolster your point and, and support you here. You know, Sun Tzu in The Art of War wrote – the supreme art of war is, is to subdue your enemy without fighting. Yeah, that's a great quote, man. Yeah, that's a and great that's, quote. that's what you're saying here. 
You know, we don't need the physical battle. He also he also goes on to say at a different point. Let me think. Let me see if I can remember this. Uh, know thyself. Know thy no. Victorious wars. Here I'll look it up so I don't get it wrong. Victorious wars win first and then go to war, while defeated warriors go to war first and then seek to win. You know, that is a, a losing strategy. If we're going to go to war first and then we're going to seek to win, we've already lost. So we've got to have this discussion of how we can, we can subdue or convince our non-supporters to support us and not just going guns blazing. Absolutely. And so to make it practical, uh, I think that, you know, obviously nobody's really talking about a genu- like a genuinely physical war. Like nobody's going to go to blows over that, at least not in a national scale. There might be an individual out there that would do something crazy. But, but that, go to we Idaho are talking about sometime. things like yeah. – <laughs> <laughs> uh, point taken, point taken. <laughs> the the – uh, what am I trying to say here? The, the thought of, for instance, that – you know, I as a hunter am going to motivate my senator or my my House of Representatives member to make sure they do or don't pass a certain bill because all the hunters are going to vote you know them out if they do. I just don't know that that that's what I really even mean by force. I think that that that's not a bad thing to do, but I don't think that's ultimately how we win this. That's key. I, I think we win this. You know, we win this. We win this by changing the opinion of the population. And if we can change the opinion of the population by conveying who we are and why we love what we do in a way that tells the more honest and true story, instead of letting the story, you know, you said control the narrative. That's a very good way of of describing what I'm talking about is we find ways to contribute and and control the narrative. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, everything from. Uh, why in the world don't clubs that I know a lot of clubs that have thousands of dollars, okay, thousands of dollars. Why in the world don't clubs have local scholarships that they give to teenagers who on a regular basis, um, you know, hunt a dog there and want to go become a veterinarian or want to, to go become a conservation officer or something like that? Why are we clubs not saying, you know what, let's support that kid? What if, what if all of the game wardens in America look back to when they were in high school and a local houndsman association helped put them through college? And I don't mean to buy their vote. That's not what I mean, but I do mean to influence their opinion. Uh, and, and, Profound. And help them see who, who we are. That's, that's, uh, a, that's just one little thing. Go ahead. Yeah, well, for instance, you know, one of the things that we do is, is promote freedom hunters on this podcast. We're partners with freedom hunters. We take America's veterans on hound adventures um that's awesome man that that plays so much better and then gives us a positive image we're not just bloodthirsty killers that that are turning these vicious dogs loose we're actually contributing back to society in a positive way Uh, and this is where I want to kind of drill down into some organizational stuff because you brought it up, but that was one of our objectives anyway. Um, instead of worrying about who the state coon dog champion is or coon hound champion is, you know, we need to put some effort into 
giving back to our community as well. And, and we need to concentrate on Indiana, for instance. We've got Riley Children's Hospital in Indianapolis. People come from all over the United States to come to Riley's Children, Children's Hospital. And as a state organization, wouldn't it be better served to win this battle by contributing to things like that rather than worrying about uh, who's got the best coon dog tonight? I personally think that would be fantastic. I also think that, and this is probably a bigger comment than what we have time to discuss now, but uh, you know, when you make when you make hound hunting about trying to win $100,000 or $50,000, you attract people who are entrepreneurs, not houndsmen. And all of a sudden, now you have a not, now you are not slaying, really a houndsman. Now you are slaying What's some sacred. Now you are slaying some sacred cows. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and I, you know, and so I, I don't really mean to push too strong of an opinion there, but. But we've all been in the woods with the guy who was there for the money, not for the dog. We've all been in the woods with that guy. Right. And, 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 and so we should not expect that guy to care about houndsmanship. Well, we should uh, not expect that guy to, ult- I mean, I'm just saying he's probably not going to. Right. Right. And, and I, we could have a whole separate podcast on that <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I think you and I could could have a long conversation about that for sure. Um, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be out there competing with our hounds. That's 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 what a lot of Eastern hunters do. We we enjoy that. There's there are several people that do love that dearly. But at some point, nobody cares. the The general public, outside of uh, what influence do you have on society? Because you've got the top coon dog in the state, yeah. or you've got the world champion tied yeah. behind. Nobody cares except other coon hunters or other houndsmen. They're the only ones. We're talking about influence outside of our that circle. You know, when we invest our time and our efforts into making a positive contribution back to our communities, then we don't have to worry about the the houndsman that that lives lives in our community supporting us. Now we've got our community supporting us. You take you take an event like Autumn Oaks. Okay, Autumn Oaks indirectly pumps $12 million into the local economy in Richmond, Indiana every Labor Day weekend. Wow. And you think that community is not going to rise up and try to fight for Autumn Oaks and the houndsmen that are coming there and filling up motels and filling up restaurants and those sort of things? You know, obviously they are going to do that, but you take, you take a community like, uh, or you take an organization like Freedom Hunters or Riley Children's Hospital. And now we are at our state banquet. We're having a special auction where all the proceeds go to Riley Children's Hospital. The administrators at Riley's Children's Hospital are going to recognize that, and they're going to be in your corner. And then you can take that information and you can go to your legislator before there's an issue and develop that relationship and say, hey, do you realize that these houndsmen are you know, repaying America's heroes by introducing them back to society through honey? Do you realize they're contributing uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars to Riley Children's Hospital? Do you realize that they're doing this? You know, Friends of the Muscatatuck River picking up tons of trash out of the river every year. Those sort of things are what politicians want to back. 
they don't care about your world champion coon dog. That's just a byproduct of who you are and what you do. That's that's your reward. Your your reward for your hard work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I agree completely, man. That that it's one thing to affect the opinions of hunters. Uh, we already have them, but to affect the opinions of the outside world requires that we do and think differently. And I love the examples you're giving. That's great, man. Yeah. Well, this you're the you're the doctor. What else you got, Brad? What else? Where do I well, need? I to know get, we, I know where we do we need to guide this conversation? <laughs> I I think that of course we're we're well over an hour so far. So I don't know how long you normally go, but um, uh, I I would think that um, I didn't even realize I we were. That <laughs> I just have a counter on my phone. Um, I would think, Chris, that helping you know hunters hunters are we're you know obviously not all men so men and women uh typically country folks typically you know rural living folks you know and because of that uh there are there are certain stereotypes that kind of you know goes along like you know whether it be uh being uh you know having a bit of a temper sometimes or being very dedicated hardworking, and all those things are most of them really good stereotypes uh, i think one of the things is that it, it tends to be pretty easy to draw us into a fight. Uh, and then, and then when we do that again, we, we violate everything that we've been talking about in the last hour. So, you know, for instance, when, uh, in Tennessee and West Tennessee, there's a great hunt every year that's put on, uh, to raise money for a children's hospital down here. It's got long, long standing. I don't know the exact numbers, but I'm guessing 25, 30, 40 years of mm -hmm. history that, that may, maybe, maybe, maybe more than 50. I don't know. Uh, that this St. Jude hunt has gone on. And in the last eight or 10 years, every time they advertise it on Facebook, there's somebody that, you know, tries to pull people into a fight. You know, they'll make a post, say, look at this evil thing that's happening. You know, th these dogs are so mean, whatever. And instead of responding with wisdom and clarity and trying to, again, make that enemy a friend, instead of doing that, what so often happens is we blurt off with, you know, you know, kiss my butt in as many different ways and words as you can think of, <laughs> you right, know, right. and and so now we're just in a Facebook battle with, you know, with, with bad attitudes and foul language and all that stuff. And all we're doing, all we're doing, in my opinion, is making that third person out there who doesn't have a strong opinion either way start to think that that person who made that original negative post was right. Yep. It's all we're doing. All we're, we're doing is, oh my gosh, these these people act like animals. That's right. Look at the way they're talking. Look at the way they're talking to this person. Look at the way. And so, the more we can discipline ourselves, this is kind of a circle back to the beginning. But the more that we can take the respect we have for our dogs, and the respect we have for ourselves, and and the respect we have for one another, and handle the fact that we do have those who misunderstand and dislike what we do. And how are we going to deal with it? Are we going to fight with? with you know are we going to fight with might and just try to use mean words to win a battle which i think is the way to lose the fastest uh or are we going to try to to do what we've been talking about and so i would just ask everybody listening to this i know that i know that you or i neither one we can't make people not show their butts on facebook but we can make <laughs> sure we don't you know we can make sure we don't and we can encourage those within our sphere of influence not to i might even challenge the, the, the men and women who are hunters out there, especially those who are over 40, 
to realize that you do have a sphere of influence. You might not think you have a sphere of influence. You might not realize that somebody's watching you or thinking. You mentioned it earlier. People are always watching us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really do believe that, you know, there's <laughs> pastors say this all the time, but in every church, there's that one guy that never talks. But when he does speak up, everybody listens. Right. And but because he's really got something to say, well, that's that's everybody on this podcast, everybody listening right now. You have a voice. There are people who would listen to you. And if you will use that wisely, you can really contribute to the long term positive uh, life of, of houndsmanship in America. Yeah. And yeah. well so, said. Well said. Let's let's uh, boil this down and wrap it up. But let's uh, let's talk about some you know bullet points or or let's leave this thing with a game plan and we'll continue this conversation in the future brad i know we'll get feedback on this podcast um and i think this is worth continuing uh a topic and continuing the discussion it's it's ongoing you know your personal development if you're not developing until the day you die then, then you've lost in life. You know, you should be learning, developing every day. You should be developing your leadership skills every day. Um, and whether you like it or not, here's, here's the way I would sum that up, okay? You're like, well, I'm not a leader. Well, when you're standing there on the side of the road in the middle of the night and nobody else is around and a situation comes up and you've got to handle it, guess who the leader is? You can't look behind you. You can't look around. At that point, you're the only person there, and you've got to lead. So even if it's just leading for you know a peaceful resolution to the situation, you are a leader at that point. So don't think you can write this off and say, well, I'm just not the leadership type. Too bad. You, you gave up that right when you took your first breath. You're going to influence somebody. Um, so... Let's leave it with some bullet points, some key things that that individual hunters need to be looking at and and doing some self-evaluation. Because I do this, I've self-evaluated during this conversation, some key points that that, uh, we can have some takeaways here, Brad. Sure. Well, okay, I would say that every, every bullet point I'm about to share should be coupled with the fact that not only are we doing it ourselves, but we are passing it on to those within our sphere of influence, okay? So we have to intentionally teach it to those around us. Mm-hmm. So the first thing, obviously, is have respect for your animal and wildlife. Have, be, be Respect the animals that make this possible. That means train them well, treat them well, let the world see that you treat them well. You know, mind the laws. Don't kill raccoons year-round. Those kinds of things. Like, like, you know, don't be the guy that shoots all three raccoons out of one tree. You know, those are just sensible things. Have have respect for the animal or animals. Mm-hmm. Secondly, really lead yourself well. Lead yourself well. Be prepared to handle emotionally. If somebody gets upset or bothered or challenges you, respond in a way that wins with wisdom, not with might. You know, that, that do that. And then nice. that leads to res- respect for other people. Respect for other people. Uh, some of the best handlers I have ever been around were jolly all the way through the even if there was a disagreement you never saw their blood pressure rise you know you never saw them lose control of their words or their actions and and we we all need to aspire to to that you know not all of us have that control of our temper but 
for the most part, we ought to aspire to, you know, and, and so do that, like respect for other people. And then I guess the last thing is this, if you're going to choose to be an advocate for houndsmanship, which we all should and better do, if we love it, right? we're going to choose to be an advocate for houndsmanship, make sure that the way you advocate helps the cause uh, <laughs> instead of hurts the cause. Yeah. So we want to, we want to win the battle. We want to win the battle without fighting if we can. We want to win the battle by changing people's minds, not by trying to overpower them. Because I, th- I think you and I agree. I know I believe that there's no way we're going to win this war by overpowering anything. <clears throat> no, and just to we're just, just we're just too small. Yeah, just to give you some data on that, and this is rough data, but you know, we're, recent studies show that that uh, hunt, the hunting population is somewhere between seven and five percent of the United States population. Seven or five percent. Um, that's not very many people when you're talking about 300 million people in the United States. So you take that seven, let's, let's give it, let's be optimistic. We'll say seven. You take that pie and you slice it down to the people who are houndsmen. And now you're looking at less than 1% within that 7%. You know, we are, we do not have the numbers to, to, you know, try to win this thing by force. We have to be wise. Absolutely. And so that, that's, that's the biggest issues for me. I think if we could motivate anybody listening to this podcast or anybody they have influence over to think that way, we would, we would have gone a long way, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Brad, I think I, I was going to go into organizational stuff. I think we touched on it a little bit, but I would really like to have you come back and we'll kind of game plan this out and talk about organizational leadership and how, the people that are being uh, elected to positions within organizations can demonstrate or work on effective leadership to lead to lead us. That sounds awesome, man. I look forward to it. We got any closing thoughts, Brad? I know you summed it up with some bullet points there, but you got anything else you want yeah. to give? Give a shameless plug for Mainly. any blue tick hounds you got. <laughs> I, I, I want. People need to help me figure out who to breed my female to. Oh, that's an if easy only one. There was a, if, the, if only there was a standout blue tick out there that seems to be throwing great puppies, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't think of any out there, especially none that are close to you. Yeah, even happen to be in the same state so I don't have to drive so far. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I, I could have so a, I, I, We're going to have Donnie Walston on here. Uh, soon, and we're going to talk about big country and and the story of big country and and different things like that. But I'll tell anybody. Hey, I will say this. I'll say this, man. Those of us who have had the pleasure of owning a great hound should really cherish it. We should really cherish it because, you know, I've I've I don't know how many hounds I've I've probably owned fifty coon dogs, and I don't mean I don't mean coon hound breed dogs. Right. I mean actual <laughs> coon hounds. I probably own 50 coon hounds in, in 30 years and maybe not that many, maybe honestly, maybe as I think about it, that's probably an exaggeration. I probably own 35 coon hounds, uh, that were good coon hounds, but I've only owned, uh, maybe three, two, two or three and handled for somebody else. One that was special, mm-hmm. you know? And, and when you get that special one, I, I, I have, I have one in my kennel right now. She's seven and, I'm probably going to be fortunate enough to get one more litter out of her. And, but um, that just, that's just 
uh, something to make sure you remember, you know, make yeah. sure you I'm actually having somebody I've commissioned a painting of her just to get somebody to, cause one of these days when she's gone, I want to remember her when she was at her best, you know? Yeah. And, uh, that's awesome. So dude, thanks for this. I appreciate it. You bet Brad. And, uh, until we talk again, you follow your hounds. I'll follow mine.